This is Fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speaker. We have Matt Brew, co-founder and managing partner at Stackmatics, and also an angel investor. In this episode, we're mainly going to focus, of course, on angel investing, but we're also <clears throat> going to talk about how to market yourself. So uh, Matt has really serious background in uh, advertising, and he will share his experience in that field with us. So Matt, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Stackmatics. Awesome. Thanks, Constantine. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate you putting this together. I think it's a great resource for a lot of folks out there. Um, so yeah, I started Stackmatics about a year and a half ago after uh, participating in the growth and exit of two different startups. The first one was Talentin, which sold to Monster.com. And then more recently, I was the head of sales at Mighty Hive, which sold for a $150 million exit to S4 Capital. Nice. just a couple of years ago. And so with that, at Mighty Hive, we sold uh, marketing technology and services to uh, marketing teams, big and small. Uh, we started off selling mostly to SMBs, but moved our way gradually up market and eventually worked the clients as large as Sprint or Nationwide. And so with that, we learned a lot. Uh, I started Stackmatics with a colleague from Mighty Hive uh, one of the enterprise account managers there, James Cretelli. And the idea was to take everything that we had learned through that journey and to work very closely with startups to accelerate their sales and marketing and to help de-risk and scale their businesses. Mm-hmm. Guys, so that sounds pretty interesting. And we'll get started with your angel experience. So uh, what do you like to invest in? And when, when did you start investing, actually? Yeah, so I started investing about a year ago, uh, and uh, the two companies that I've invested in so far, one of them is called The Factual, which is a online news app that tries to find the most credible articles each day, and they send those to you with some curation and summarization via email. And so they're mm-hmm. trying to solve the challenge of the fact that there's a lot of noise, uh, there's a lot of bias in the U.S. media. And it can be difficult to, in a quick and efficient way, get unbiased news uh, to your inbox. And then the other business is a consumer services business called Remove, which also has a second brand under the business called The Local Flea. And it's effectively a junk removal company. But uh, the catch is that if they're able to resell your largely furniture, but it can be appliances, other home goods, uh, through their warehouse, the local flea, then you get 50% of the resale value on that product. And so they're trying to create a more efficient business model than the mm-hmm. other junk removal companies out there who don't try to get that value back to the consumer. And then for folks who are interested in donating or simply recycling, uh, they do offer those options. You can get a tax write-off for your donations. And so with both businesses, I worked with the uh, uh, founders uh, in an inv- advisory and consultative role uh, on the marketing side of things. And so with both businesses, we worked uh, to experiment with Google ads and Facebook ads, marketing on Instagram, uh, developing landing pages, optimizing the conversion funnel. And both of those businesses saw very promising results with their marketing campaigns and their ability to scale them. And so that's ultimately what led me to making my investment decision in each company, because in part, the funding is going directly to growing and expanding their businesses. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important, an important thing that, that investors uh, look for is, you know, what, what is this money going to be used for? And as much as it's used for expansion and growth, and it's clear how that money is going to be used, then it's a much less risky proposition to the investor. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. And I really like the, the idea of junk removal company. I would really love to jump into that, but I think we'll have to skip it for now. Maybe if we have time at the end, we're going to talk about that. But for now, I really want to talk about marketing parts. So, uh, I mean, every founder at one point has to deal with marketing and the sooner the better. I think you should start advertising yourself uh, day two as you have day one as, as you developed a landing page, whatever landing page you came up with. But where do you think founders should start? So a lot of founders are technical or business, but very few of them are actually uh, with uh, any sort of marketing background. Where do you think they should start there? marketing yeah. journey yeah so if, if you're doing a b2b business then your marketing is largely going to be your sales and your sales outreach reaching out to people in your network calling folks emailing them getting in touch with folks that you think are a good fit for your product directly and seeing if they'll take a meeting with you um on the business consumer side of things uh testing your landing page testing google ads facebook ads uh email marketing uh, any of these channels and starting to get an idea for do consumers want this product and what do your funnel metrics look like? How much do you actually need to pay to get somebody to your site? Do they convert? Uh, it's a good way to experiment with pricing, uh, messaging. There's a lot of things that you don't know when you start a business. You don't know what the best messaging is, uh, pricing, positioning, and marketing is a way to start testing those things. And on the B2B side, the customer development provides you very much the same thing. Ultimately, you're going to provide the demo or talk to them about the solution that you have to offer. And it's really important as much as anything that you go into those early meetings or into those early marketing activities with the full notion that you plan on learning and that you're probably going to be off a lot of different places when you start. And so you just want to try to be aware of that. And I think the, the goal is to just constantly optimize constantly make your sales meetings more successful, make your emails land more often, make your landing page convert more often. There's different parts that you can optimize. You should be optimizing all of them all the time, tracking your metrics in terms of how things are working. And if you keep on that path, then then hopefully once you get traction, then it'll only be a matter of improving uh, the rate at which your business is growing from there. And I think that that's ultimately what you're trying to do is to find a scalable model and so it's really important that your focus initially with your business is to figure out the model and to start plugging in those numbers. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on this one. I think you just have to continuously continuously refine your model, refine whatever you show to the customers. And by the way, speaking of metrics, I want to mention before I forgot, uh, I used to use an app, not an app, but a software called Lucky Orange. And it's like a Google tracking thing, but better. So you can actually see where your customers are clicking and literally you can see like a record of uh, the screen. Mm-hmm. It, it looks really, it, it really makes you understand what's what's wrong. So for me, it took a couple of days to understand what exactly is wrong. And with this thing, it took me a couple of customers to understand what's wrong. So just just a, just a note so that everyone remembers. Mm-hmm. I'll leave a link to, to, that, to that thing uh, in the description of the episode for sure. So now let's move on to B2B sales. I think that's one of the hardest things in the startup world, especially 
for any non-sales background founders. So I myself was a couple of times forced to do the sales by myself, of course. And I was I was horrible at this. Uh, I'm not quite sure why exactly, but I'm pretty sure that many people who have no sales background will do the same thing as I did. And what's your advice for those people? What, what do you think people with no sales background should do when they have to call customers? Just cold, cold. Yeah. I mean, so I think in general, if you really feel that uncomfortable and inexperienced, then maybe you're not the best person for the job. I think it's better <laughs> to have a smaller stake in something that's successful and uh, successful to the greatest capacity that it can be than to waste time uh, trying to fight an uphill battle. Uh, I think a lot of people take sales for granted. I think especially at businesses that are doing really well, uh, people think mm-hmm. you build the product and then it comes. And um, salespeople ultimately have to fight for every sale. And uh, it's a skill like anything else. It's a skill to be able to message your product clearly, build trust with folks, uh, be able to write compelling emails or just generally know how to get in touch with people in a way where they're responsive. Uh, to handle yourself professionally in a meeting and to represent your business as best you can. Uh, it's something that honestly takes years, years of experience. Um, and I think it could be worth investing in the right partner or the right VP of sales um, in the right capacity to help take over that function for you. Because ultimately, if you're a technical co-founder and you're, you're building a technology-driven company, a product-driven company, and that's where a lot of your time and energy needs to ultimately be spent to be most efficient. And it's never really going to be that efficient to, to try to do sales. Um, if really you're doing yourself a disservice and you're not representing your product in the best way you can. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's something I'd ser- seriously consider. Um, I think though, at the end of the day, if you're the CEO of the company, if that's the role that you're looking to fill, uh, over the long term, then it's a skill you need to develop because it's not just a skill that you're going to need for sales. It's going to be a skill that you need to recruit folks. Uh, generally, you're going to have to compel a lot of people uh, to come along on your mission. And that's probably something that you definitely want to work on and invest in so you can be that leader for everybody and to handle all those different situations, including fundraising. Absolutely. I think that's a great note. And that topic actually comes up more and more on my podcast for some reason. So I think I'll do once an educational episode on just B2B sales and uh, sales related stuff. But uh, for now, let's move on and actually back to advertising. So uh, there there are several options. Uh, So for example, on Facebook, you can choose like brand awareness, uh, click through rate targeting, uh, Mm -hmm. conversions, et cetera, et cetera. And where do you think you should actually try brand awareness? So for me personally, I, I don't really understand what's the use of brand awareness, but do you think <laughs> it's even yeah. reasonable to use it? Yeah, no. Um, no, so brand branding campaigns are is something that larger companies do once, once you have a brand. And, um, and generally that's because some of those companies, uh, like Procter & Gamble, for example, People are going into the aisles and uh, ultimately they need to pick a laundry detergent and uh, brand matters in those situations. When you're a new business, uh, you're not in that situation where you're in front of consumers and you need to have the best brand image. Uh, And generally, um, 
Yeah, brand campaigns in a lot of ways. It just means campaigns that maybe you can't measure as well. Uh, like ultimately, they're still supposed to have an impact. It's just that they're not necessarily focused on sales. Um, but either way, everything you do as a startup should be focused on sales. Um, mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't even worry so much about clicks because the problem is clicks you pay for, but not every click necessarily drives a sale. Um, so in terms of where to start with testing, Google and Facebook are always going to be the best two bets for any consumer business. Uh, but frankly, for B2B too, they tend to work pretty well. A lot of people think LinkedIn will work well, uh, but oftentimes it's not actually the best fit. Yeah, I personally have a really awful bias towards LinkedIn. I, I hate it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but we'll not get into the, the dark side. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about the thing that you mentioned. You said the entrepreneur should just start with the, uh, Facebook and Instagram. No, no. Uh, yeah, thing? Facebook and Instagram and Google. Yeah, so it's just Facebook Google and Instagram, I think it's the same thing now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where exactly do you think they should start? Uh, what what should they look for? Yeah, so with, with Google search ads, it can often be a great place to start because the best thing about Google search is that people are raising their hand, indicating that they want to buy a certain product. And so somebody might look for um, podcasts for startups or podcasts or fundraising, and then that could be a good place to promote this one. Uh, that said, for a lot of new businesses, you're often trying to do something new. And that can be problematic for search ads because nobody's really searching for what you're building. Um, and so in that situation, Google is not going to be a great fit. Um, but that's the beauty of Google. It's just in time marketing. As soon as someone's looking for a barber shop or whatever the product or service may be, you can put your ad out there and have a chance to convert on a sale fairly quickly. Um, with Facebook, the idea is more around uh, targeting a specific audience that you're trying to reach. And ultimately, you still pay just for clicks. So if you're showing that to the wrong person, then ultimately they're not clicking on the ad. Uh, and it's not really a big deal. And so um, in either case, it's kind of always worth testing because if you are able to reach your audience, which largely are, almost everybody's Google searching or on Facebook or Instagram, WhatsApp or Messenger. And so um, in a lot of ways, it's just a testament to your business. It's a testament to your messaging. Do you fit a product? Do you have product market fit? Like, are you actually fulfilling a need? And if your uh, campaigns aren't going well, whether it's for B2B, B2C, whether we're talking about ads or emails, it doesn't matter. There's usually something to learn from that. Um, like there's something about the way you're messaging or there's just something simply wrong with the solution you're trying to offer. Like there's simply not a need. Um, but ultimately, you need to start seeing traction. And people kind of want to buy stuff. Um, ultimately, people are looking for stuff that's interesting and useful to them, things that will save them time, allow them to make more money. Um, whenever they buy, it's often looked at as an investment. And that's ultimately the question you want to answer is why would people want to invest money in your product and what value does it provide them? And in some ways, it really is as simple as that. And your marketing is just the job of communicating that effectively. And if you do that well, then sales come thereafter. Got it. So last couple of questions about marketing, and then we'll go back to fundraising questions. Uh, so first question that I hear I want to ask you is, uh, do you have any recommendations of books or courses about marketing for uh, beginners? 
Yeah, I think um, in terms of marketing for beginners, um, I think there's different ways to go about it. I think um, at the end of the day, there's a, you can learn a lot about marketing. I think in some ways it helps to just think about, uh, like, do you have a problem in the first place? Like, what is it that you think you need to learn? Um, and then try to find a solution that fits that need. Um, at the end of the day, there's really not too much to it. Uh, like you really do have these key channels, Facebook, Google, email marketing, you can call folks and it's really up to you to make the most of those channels and to, to grow your business most effectively using them. Um, honestly, yeah, like there aren't a ton of great resources out there. Uh, we plan on developing a lot of content at Stackmatic to try to help with that. Uh, or it's just the case that the content is all over the place. Um, like marketing is a big word. Marketing is branding. Marketing is performance advertising. Um, it can include a lot of different things. And most of those things aren't going to matter to you as a startup founder. I think the two most important things, uh, I think one is brand, not necessarily brand awareness, but this general idea that how does your business look and feel online? Um, like ultimately that's how you're judged. Uh, if you're a startup and you don't have a website, I would make one. If you don't have your own email addresses, I would get those. Mm -hmm. Um, it's incredibly important the way that you represent yourself and, um, it's going to be incredibly impactful on how your ads or how your marketing actually works. And, uh, if your marketing is working or not, is, is a reflection on your brand. Uh, do people trust you? And so I think the best place to start is really just to work on that first and foremost. Does your website look great? Do you have online reviews? Do you have customer testimonials? As much as you can start getting other people, uh, whether that's through press or reviews or whatever it is, to start touting uh, you and your product and your service and that it's great instead of you needing to do it yourself. And that provides a lot of assurance to the market um, that you're legit, that you are actually helping customers, that, uh, you know, it's not a scam. Um, like as much as you might believe in yourself and your product and service, you send an email to someone and ask them to sign up and put down their credit card. What makes you think that they'll necessarily trust you? Um, and so that's kind of the game is to build trust. And as much as you can build trust through your brand, uh, then sales again will follow. Um, so I think anything that you can read or find, um, to help with that, just how can you, uh, make your brand as compelling as possible. But beyond that, I wouldn't, wouldn't overthink it. It's really about just being buttoned up and then going to market. And, uh, as much as you're buttoned up, then people will be receptive. Right. I definitely, I really like those points that you mentioned, just building a brand that how you look like, because whenever I get pictures or something like that, I first check the email. If it's not a custom email, I'm not even going to look at it. Because, come on, how, how hard is it to create an email, you know? Then I go to Crunchbase. If you're not in Crunchbase, I already have a question like, why why are you not there? Because it takes a couple of minutes to put yourself there. And so on and so forth. So I think that's a really yeah. important point you've touched on to here. So um, here I want to move back to fundraising questions and uh, talk about your personal investing preferences. So uh, you're an angel investor, and I imagine that you get uh, tons of uh, cold uh, 
outreach through mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Do you actually read, go through it, or do you just skip all, all of it? Um, no, I, re- I mean, every, every single message you send, folks, usually gets read unless they're really somebody that has an ex- executive assistant actively filtering their email for them. Uh, but a lot of folks don't. And uh, with that, every LinkedIn message you're sending, every email that goes unanswered, uh, it made it there. Um, you know, the email system wasn't broken. Like, you got their email right. And so I think with that, um, again, it really comes down to crafting your message, making your brand look strong so that you get, get responses on, on those. I think um, in some cases, um, this space is something that I don't feel comfortable with. Uh, I'm not particularly invested in, uh, in investing in life sciences, for example, just because I don't feel I have the technical background and expertise to make investments well in that space. So I think that's one thing to consider is that there can be certain disqualifiers that you don't understand about an investor, certain things that they don't feel comfortable investing in, regardless of how smart you may be or how your idea may be. And um, with that, it, it maybe helps to try to target folks that you think uh, would be interested in investing in you, that, that maybe do have an interest in those types of spaces or have made investments um, that fit that profile in the past. Um, but other than that, I would say the, the biggest thing is that if it's a cold message, then it implies I don't know you. And mm-hmm. so um, ultimately, it's going to be hard to make a judgment on the team, um, especially over the met- Ultimately, the biggest factor is going to be traction. Uh, like trust is something that that like and uh, like not not seeing too much risk are, are important factors to an investor. And the most important thing you can do if you're doing a cold outreach, I think, is to speak to your attraction. Um, but as much as you're very early stage or you are building a technology product that requires a longer development cycle, then you're really going to want to focus on trying to find folks that believe in you. And if your network is fairly small from the perspective of um, being able to quickly network with investors, then I would recommend that uh, as a founder, you work on networking. Because networking is going to be something that is incredibly valuable, going to be incredibly valuable to your success over the long term. And I think that if you feel, um, yeah, you don't have the network yet, then I would start on that first and foremost, because it's going to help with recruiting. It's going to help with your company's personal brand. Uh, it's going to help in a lot of different ways. And I think most most great founders, if not all of them, uh, ultimately develop really strong networks and that helps them to continue to accomplish their goals over time. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. Network is a really, really powerful tool. And speaking of network, how do you think those founders should actually build up their network? Should they go to some, you know, pitch events or, uh, for example, in Los Angeles, we have uh, an event called Founders Meet Founders, which I used to go to. Uh, not anymore mm-hmm. though. So uh, what's your recommendation to this? Yeah, I would say everything. I, I when I started off uh, in my early entrepreneurial days, I would go to meetups. Uh, I would find online communities. Um, whatever it is, if you um, look, sign up for every online publication that you can find, like every single email newsletter, create a filter <laughs> to organize them all in one place. But uh, you need to tap in. And it'll be a way to get notified about more virtual events, 
um, mm-hmm. and different ways to connect with people. But I, I would basically say do everything until you feel you're over networking or your network's so big that you don't have time to network anymore. Um, but I think a key, key factor in networking is, um, what do you have to offer? Uh, ultimately part of the beauty of networking is, uh, the concept of trading things of unequal value that you'll be in a position to give someone something that really benefits them in their career. And then at some point later, they may do the same for you. And to neither of you, it's really a big deal to, to do the thing, to make the introduction or whatever it is. Uh, but then the result for the other person is huge. And so um, ultimately, that's that's what you're looking for. And so with that, the best thing you can do is start building good karma. Uh, whatever it is that you can offer folks, whether that's writing content that's useful, uh, ma- making introductions for them, giving them free advice, consulting them on a project. Um, and then make it clear what your intentions are. Uh, like you're happy to help folks, but do let them know what it is that you might need in the future that, you know, you're in the process of fundraising for your company. Um, the person you're networking with or the person you're exchanging with doesn't need to ultimately be the one that does the thing for you. Uh, you just need to let them know because someone in their network might be able to help you out. And so as many feelers as you can put out like that, just letting people know what it is that you have to offer, what it is that you're looking for, over time, that'll just start to naturally happen more and more. And people will reach out to you with things that you need. Right. Yeah, I think you, here you touched on to a really, really, really important point, which are newsletters. I think that's that's a really good start and very few people actually think about it. I didn't think about it for a long time too. Now I don't really search anything. I get invitations uh, through my personal network and through newsletters. I have like two left, but those are really local. Do you think there are any global newsletters about uh, online events right now that you would recommend? Uh, no, yeah, I was going to say a lot of mine are local too. Like I recently moved to Austin And so that's, that's where my mind was with that question. When I moved here, I was wondering, where are the events? What are the big groups? And so very quickly, I tried to find uh, a list of the major publications and the major groups here so you could get tapped into the local community. I imagine that there's more sprouting up glo- globally now because generally it's harder to meet. Um, but I would just search. The Internet's a very big place. You can maybe even go on Reddit go on LinkedIn, wherever it is. And I'm sure you can start finding different communities. Um, but yeah, I think um, in general with networking, I mean, quality matters, but generally quantity, there's a lot of, there's a lot of research that says there's a, there's a lot of power in having a big network, even if it, like, you're not really close with everybody, just close enough so they, they know what you do and what you're interested in and vice versa. Uh, that's going to get you further faster. And so I would just try to network with everyone you can, every way that you can, and uh, play a numbers game. I would definitely go to go for quantity first. And quality is something that maybe matter later. Once you're finding that your network can't deliver on certain things, then you might need to search out very specific things thereafter. But yeah, I think that's a good question. I think that's maybe a potential good follow-up, just if there are any good online communities popping up in this way. Um, I think there's one w- website that's pretty interesting called Lunch Club. And you check that one out and it connects you with folks one-on-one for meetings and is a way, easy way to expand your network. 
Um, there's another one called Common Genius where you can uh, talk with folks, either free or, or paid, and do a variety of different business consulting engagements. Uh, so there are things out there. Um, I would ultimately say try a little bit of everything and see what works for you because everyone's a little different in terms of their preferences. Right. I think you touched onto a lot of useful stuff in Lunch Club. I personally tried, got invited to that thing like a year ago or so. And I ignored so many meetings that I was eventually yeah. out. So, yeah, personally, I didn't have like the best experience in my life with that thing. But yeah, <laughs> So I think you've touched onto something really that might be really helpful to many founders right now because a lot of my listeners are actually, so I think about 20, 30% of them are European. And a lot of them are actually planning to move to the US or uh, already in the process. Uh, I mean, not now, of course, during the coronavirus, but eventually they're planning to head here. So what do you think, as, as a person who moved to another city, what do you think should be the first three steps of a person who just arrive to a new city. So for example, when they arrive to San Francisco, what first three steps should they take to improve their network? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely sign up for all the publications. Like I said, check out Meetup, um, check out things like General Assembly. Um, I would just try to get tapped in as quickly as you can. I think it's, I think it can be hard, but there are always people that are always in exactly the same position as you. Uh, it's a very fluid and dynamic world. And I think if you just put yourself out there, then there are going to be people out there who are trying to network too that will reciprocate with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every community is going to be, be a little bit different, but I think all of them have so much to offer as long as you pick a more major hub, uh, whether it's New York or Seattle or San Francisco, Denver, SoCal, uh, there are communities in all these different places and there are events going on every single week. And so it really just, just is a matter of figuring out what the best options are in that local community, seeing what open events you can come to. Um, but yeah, definitely reach out to everybody you already know. If you know folks there, uh, don't be afraid to look on LinkedIn, um, at your alumni network. Uh, when I moved to Austin, that's one thing I did, just went to see, are there other alumni from my school here? And it's different things like that, like any common touch point you might have uh, is going to is gonna make people more likely to meet with you. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's, that's something that I would definitely recommend. And then as much as you don't have those common ties in those groups, I would join them. I would add them to your LinkedIn profile go search on LinkedIn, who else is in that group, try to add members from that group. Uh, that's something that I've commonly done. And if you just say, hey, I'm in this group too, like just wanted to reach out, connect to another member, people accept every single time. And then just reach out to them a month or two later, like, hey, like wanted to connect, like uh, learn more about what you're up to. Um, and you'll be surprised because like, you're already connected and you connected on that mutual ground and you gave it a little bit of time, then a lot of times they'll take the meeting. Um, I think especially now, unfortunately, with coronavirus going on, um, you know, there's not a lot that you can do in person, but I think it's made people even more apt to say yes to connecting uh, Mm -hmm. for meetings virtually because if you ask someone if they're free, yes, like a lot of people have a lot more demands and a lot more going on, but at the same time, everyone is kind of 
trapped inside more or less. And, uh, you know, it's kind of hard for them to say like, Oh, sorry, I'm traveling this month. You know, it's unlikely. And so most people, um, might be a little stressed, might be a little anxious with what's going on, but a lot of people too do have the time. And, uh, I've been connecting with people more probably since, since this all started happening as a result of that, just because a lot of people are more free on average. Right. I think you've touched into so many specific advice that I, uh, it's just wonderful. I love it. I think that right now, anyone who's listening to this right now, you have a lot of stuff to do, especially if you need to grow your network or if you need to grow your sales. So uh, we'll wrap it up here as we came to our 30 minutes uh, benchmark. Uh, thanks a lot, Matt, for coming up, for sharing your experience and for being so specific. I loved it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Constantine. On the three books, I didn't have three marketing books, but I wrote down three books just as a takeaway. For negotiation, Getting More by Stu Diamond, the Warren professor. It's very helpful. Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Everybody's heard of it, but I'll add the caveat. Most people still don't do a great job following the book in practice. I'm going to read it twice. And then Zero to One by Peter Thiel, also pretty popular at this point. Uh, but some of the things he says, I think it's just nobody else said it before him, sort of, or at least put it, put it in that way and gave that perspective. I just thought there were a number of things that were insightful there about what it takes to start a startup and the way to think about it. And so, yeah, I would recommend those books to get some perspective. And with negotiation, just bear in mind everything's a negotiation. You're like negotiating with your co-founder, like hiring your first employee. And so I think reading a book on negotiation a great place to start for any founder i was actually gonna i was about to start reading the, something about negotiation and i think i know where to start now you just made this episode yeah. there so we're gonna wrap Check it up it gets too good to be real you know so thanks a lot matt again for sharing your experience and for sharing those books specifically i love it i'll definitely put the links to those books in the description of the episode and have a great day stay safe you too. Thanks, Kostin.